for agility's sake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kyle Spitzley, and with me today is Chris Masnack from Nagaro. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm super excited to have you on the show. We have uh, you know, a few things to talk about today. We are going to dive into the QA and the testing space of Agile. So, Chris, if you would, give our audience a sense of your background and, and what you're doing now for Nagaro. Yeah, so... Well, actually, I'm from the south of Austria, so if any of your listenings are wondering why my accent sounds familiar, that's because I'm from the same area as Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but if that doesn't distract you, let me tell you a bit about how we do QA in HL. Um, I'm leading Nagara's HL testing practice, and that gives me a chance to work with a truly global team and to work with a lot of different companies to optimize their testing and help a lot of testers to adapt to the HL world. I myself have started out in testing or QA 15, 16 years ago. Um, so I come from a very traditional approach to QA, had to make the transition myself. And that's why I think, you know, I, I can talk firsthand and explain on how I felt going through all that. Oh, would you mind sharing one of the highlights or one of the things that maybe you've told a story before? What was it like going through that transition from the traditional way to a more agile way? Oh, it's it's a big step for especially for us folks in QA. You know, we we are usually very structured people. Um, we like to plan ahead. We like to know everything in detail, um, or at least lots of us do. And then this change or this transition to HL is a big change for us, um, also for us in QA. And it takes a while to find out on how to cope with that. And at some point, actually, I found out it makes our life in QA much easier. Um, but to get there, it's a long way. Mm. What, are, what are some of the examples of life getting easier in QA? Yeah, see, in, in some of my first projects, you know, like maybe 15 years ago, we had those user acceptance tests that might go on for six to 12 weeks with literally hundreds of business people mm -hmm. um, twice a year. And then you would ship or out the release of some software and you would have tons of risks still associated to it. You would not know, you know, did I catch everything? Did I cover everything? And QA has, you know, the small iterations. Um, we, we try to release after a sprint or after every second sprint. And we get much smaller pieces into test, which makes it much easier to make sure everything is working. And uh, it makes it much easier to say, yeah, we covered those two epics, we covered those five epics, we covered those hundred stories. Then saying in previous times, yeah, we covered everything that was developed within the past year. So mm. I think it, it helps you break down your work in QA and, and that's what makes it much, much easier. Um, but of course, you need to, to change also the way you work a lot for that. And you need to, to adapt to being more more flexible in your approach, not to know ahead. You know, I don't know what I'll be testing in two months, um, but I can focus on what I'm testing right now in this sprint that's going on. And that sounds like it creates a little more certainty and a little more confidence in what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I never thought about this from the perspective of a QA person with those big releases. You've got a thousand test cases or, you know, scenarios that you've got to go through and you're not sure. Did we cover everything, as you said, whereas it's a much smaller scope when you're talking about two weeks 
or even four weeks worth of work, right? Versus yeah. six months. Absolutely. And also, not only if we come to test cases, but also to the things we find, to the bugs, to the defects. You know, if I have to go through 100 defects and see, okay, can I release with this one? Can I release with that one? That's much more complicated than, you know, just saying, okay, this epic works, this epic doesn't work. We put the feature flag on, we release it. We put the feature flag off, we don't release it. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe we, you know, we release the code to production, we still keep on some testing and then switch on the feature flag when we're confident to do that. That's something that uh, we could not do 10, 15 years ago, or at least most companies wouldn't do that 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. And by the way, while we're having this conversation, feel free to correct me when I use the wrong terminology. I don't know that much about the QA world. So if I mix up, you know, test script, test scenario, test case, that kind of stuff, please educate me. Yeah, I'm not going to start here in a two-week podcast on QA terminology. It's also <laughs> used different in every company. Um, I'm fine with that. We just adapt the basic ideas. You know, we want to verify that everything works as it's supposed to work. And to also make sure, and this is actually uh, a part that gets more trickier in, in HL projects, to make sure that everything that worked before works again. So um, if we have, you know, a sprint release, uh, we would like to make sure that also the stuff that worked in the sprints before is still working. Mm. And this is a bit more tricky because now I have to do this every sprint. Um, so I, before that, I had to do this, you know, maybe twice a year. Now I have to do this weekly or biweekly or once a month whenever I want to release. I need to make sure that everything I tested before is tested again and is still working. So that's a big challenge. Um, luckily, we have quite some tools for that. So I started out in test automation, and uh, this is something that's growing a lot in HL testing. Mm, I can only imagine as you're trying to, is that regression testing? Is that a, a term? Is that correct? So I'm thinking about like... That is the correct term. I'm very okay. proud uh, awesome. to hear awesome. non-QA people use it. So regression testing is basically to make sure that everything that worked before was not broken by some new development you did. Uh, right. So as we're putting new things into the production environment, it is interacting with what's already there and could potentially break it, right? So the idea is that we have to do this every time we're putting something into production. And so it sounds like given that this is happening every two weeks or so, there is a ton of testing that has to happen. And I can only imagine that manually doing all that isn't going to be feasible. So tell me a little bit more about how you and the teams are using uh, automation in, in your agile environment. Yeah. Yeah. Let me lead on with manual testing is still very important and something you cannot live without it. At the same time, you cannot really handle an HL project without doing tons of test automation. And this, this means automation on every level, on the low level, on the code level, with unit tests, with integration tests. Um, but also if you come up to, to integration tests on web service layers, or if you look at even UI tests, all your tests or tests from every level should be automated to be able to verify instantly if what you did is still working. So whenever, this is my, my best case scenario, is whenever there's one build pushed, then I want to verify immediately if stuff is still working. And that's what I do with test automation. 
And, you know, it's also a growing pile of functionality that you need to verify over, over the course of your sprints. And, mm -hmm. and doing that manually, that works in the first two, three sprints or so, but it will <laughs> yeah. not work um, throughout a two-year project with, uh, you know, 50 sprints or something like that. That's mm -hmm. not going to work. So um, we need to invest heavily into test automation um, so we can check all those um, regressions automatically without manual effort and keep these manual efforts reserved, you know, to, to do some exploratory testing to make sure, you know, this looks good, this feels good. Um, finding bugs is still better doing that manually, finding bugs in new functionality. But for all this regression testing, we do automation. Mm. Um, okay. And the hard truth about it is you have to start early, you know, like um, the earlier you start with automation, the easier it is to, to keep up with the insane speed of, of functionality that's being delivered in HL testing. And um, starting with automation mid-project might give you a small safety net, but if you start out in the first sprint while you start out with your delivery of functionality, then you really have the confidence that whatever you're doing, whatever new you're developing, is not breaking what you had before. Mm. And so, but it sounds like regardless of where I'm at in my effort, I, I should start. <laughs> I should yes. start. Start now, start yesterday. Um, you might be late to the game, but it's still sooner or later you need to do that. And this is also something that will help you through the whole lifetime of your product. You know, even if you, you know, have the implementation project done and you go back to a like maintenance level project where you say maybe I have a release every month or so, you still can rely on that automation you build up during your um, development phase and during your your more active project phase, like put it like that. Mm. So I feel like this, this is a, a little bit of a tangent. It feels like to me we have teams that are so busy trying to test these new features and do the regression testing, right? Validating that things are still working as they should. Um, there's so much for them to do that their response is often like, we're not given the time to start automating things. So do you have any advice for a group that's in the middle of, of delivering something, they haven't done a lot of automation, they know they should, but they're just they're being pushed to to go fast, and I, I'm I'm gonna guess it takes a little time, right, to to start the automation work. Yeah, it takes a little time, but honestly, there is a lot of great tools out there that haven't been out there five or ten years ago um, that make starting much easier. I, I'm sure there are uh, frameworks that fit every uh, technology skill level that you have in your team. Um, can be any language, there will be something supporting that. Um, so try to start out with something that already fits with your team's skills. You know, you're not going to set up a, a Java automation framework if your whole team is on, on a C-sharp uh, environment. And at the same time, you know, uh, start with the small things. Start automating maybe one test case in a sprint. That's better than none. Mm -hmm. and go in there easy but let this run continuously you know even if you have one test case running with every build you know hey okay the build at least worked right we have maybe even some verification on a ui level 
so it cannot be that broken and then start adding stuff. At the same time in, in HL um, projects, we have to think that QA is becoming a more and more of a team thing. So um, it's not only the, the role of a tester that will do the testing, be it manual or automated. You, ha you usually have very good developers in your HL teams. Use them to use also test automation. This is uh, in its best form, it is coding work. It's really an implementation work as you would implement functionality. Hmm. Make that part of a definition of done. At the same point, you know, involve everyone in manual testing. We, we saw HL teams that did, you know, Friday afternoon, one hour is reserved for just sitting down everyone, do some exploratory testing and you get you know, if you have a team with diverse backgrounds, you get quite far with that, even though it's not structured testing, mm. but you get quite far with that. And, and so I see the tester or the QA responsible in those HL teams and environments, more of a coach trying to, to help the team reach quality delivery than, you know, being responsible of testing every single test case themselves. Mm, that's um, awesome. It sounds like uh, I was just recently talking to one of our um, QA leads and, and he was talking about something similar as they went through some technical craftsmanship coaching and they said as a team as a group with developers and the, the QA folks together so what we're trying to do is to get everyone to be doing the QA and even having QA people involved in the development and and like my first reaction is if I'm a QA person I'm not a developer but I don't know enough about it to to speak to it but it sounded like that actually made a huge difference in elevating the team's shared understanding of how it works how it should be tested um, so what's been your experience in those kind of teams where you get that crossover between the roles oh this is the sweet spot this is you know when you really experience this this kind of now this is a team that's really working together now stuff is delivered and in quality and yes have the different roles work together we we often you know do some pair programming when it comes to um, unit testing where we have tester and developers sit together develop the unit tests tester might not be at the programming level or at the implementation level of a developer but he might know a thing or two about how to implement a good unit test and and this is knowledge you need to leverage at the same time, we try to, to spread testing knowledge um, to, to product owners or to business analysts in the team um, because, you know, they already have the knowledge uh, about the functionality. Let's just give them some methods on how they can test some practices that are good and how to, you know, make sure they cover the most with the little time that's there because it needs to be clear. We can never test everything. It yeah. always is a uh, you know, a risk reward kind of situation where we have to see uh, what will be maybe not tested and you, you will have areas where you have to test more and you have the areas where you test less, but you cannot live without it. Yeah, so this reminds me of, I'm thinking back to our first conversation, talking about the, the traditional way of, of doing testing and having these big releases and big UAT testing events that makes it feel like throughout the majority of the build effort right the designing and building you're not actually doing any testing and there gets to be this point where everything's kind of pushed to the end 
And then it's like, all right, now test everything. Is that true? Um, it is true. Um, it is true usually in the beginning of an HL transformation. So, so the teams get prepared. Now we, we do some HL delivery. QA processes, QA practices are, are mostly forgotten um, or not given that priority because, you know, you want to deliver functionality quickly. Right. Um, the quality part, you know, this is where traditionally we try to save some time. Um, so this is a bit frustrating for me sometimes, you know, when I when I come into to a, an organization or a team that just started with the HL transformation, they're all energized up and say, yes, now we do that. But they completely forgot then what it means for testing and how do we do testing. And what happens to you is you have a two week sprint and you get 90% of all the stories delivered on the last day of the sprint. And they say, <laughs> okay, dear tester, please test those stories. So. Um, <laughs> Usually we sort this out after one or two sprints um, yeah. because the team sees, oh, wait, if I don't leave time for QA or if I don't actively participate in QA, the story won't get closed. And this affects my velocity for the whole team. So it's not just, you know, the tester's fault, but we all need to work together, maybe deliver stories earlier, maybe show um, earlier commits to the testers to get a good velocity throughout the sprint and not, you know, have your maybe your burn down charge be, be a straight line until suddenly it's all finished with a big bang for that sprint. Right. So, so it sounds like what what's happening is the same situation that would happen with big releases over the course of six or 12 months where it all gets pushed to the end and we do it all at once. The same thing happens on a small scale in a two week sprint, right? It does happen, but if it happens on this small sprint, scale we can correct it yeah because we can correct it in the next sprint already we, we do our sprint review we see what went wrong and we fixed it in earlier times you could say maybe yeah let's fix that for the next project and it would happen again in the next project yeah. but if you can you know do your improvement cycles on a sprint level those kind of early mistakes can easily be remedied yeah, it sounds like, I mean, just the fact that it's every two weeks or even if it's every four weeks, the frequency of that is so much greater that you would realize we can't keep doing this. This isn't a sustainable practice. We're not going to ship code that hasn't been tested because we didn't give time for testing. So, I mean, that sounds like it can be a frustrating one of those first pitfalls of we're trying to move from this traditional to an agile, you know, sprint based approach. We're just replicating the problem in a smaller batch right? As we're doing the same thing we were before, but we have a much faster feedback loop and learning cycle for us to yeah. adapt that. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what does it feel like for, um, I want to talk about the manager, like a QA manager. So I know as a, a QA person on a team, it's probably really clear, like, here's my role, here's what I need to do. And that doesn't matter if it's on a two week sprint or a 12 month project, it's the same kind of role, right? But for a manager of that team, What's it look like going from the old world to the new world? How does it feel for them? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, this is a tough challenge and something that I saw through so many organizations. Um, we, they did their HL transformation and in the end you have those QA managers, really good people that know their testing, standing there and saying like, what is my role now? What do I do? Um, we did not define anything for that or if I look at the HL Festo, what does it say about my role? Nothing. <laughs> or if I look at the roles of Scrum, do I see a test manager there? No, I don't no. see one there. So I have to admit, 
we sometimes see quite some pushback from test managers because they they just don't know what's happening to their role and that creates uncertainty. Um, and I think the job of a QA manager changes completely. So we have to, to redefine that role in every project with every organization and see how we help them to transform into that role because um, they should transfer or where they are most useful is if they transfer from a like QA management more to a QA coaching role. Um, this also fits very well to the whole servant leadership that's going on. I like that a lot where you, you know, it's now your new responsibility to make sure your team can perform. And as a QA manager, you have to make sure the testers in all the scrum teams in all the HL teams throughout the organization can perform. That means, you know, making sure they have the right tools, making sure they have the right skills, um, but also maybe giving them, you know, some kind of uh, um, help in, in, in escalations or, or making sure their voices are heard in every team. Because if you look in QA, you sometimes have people that, you know, maybe are, are juniors, maybe started fresh in the company, in the project, they might not get hurt so easily. And especially, you know, if you come into an established team with, with very senior developers, you might not always be able to, to argue why what you, you think is important in QA is important. So if you have then those QA managers from before that are, are getting more into a coaching role, they can help the testers reach that level. They can help convey that. And what is really important, they they can help, you know, setting up transparency throughout the project. And I mean, transparency is super easy for one team in Scrum um, or in an agile project. But when you have to scale it, if you go in an organizational level, it's really hard to see where you're standing quality wise. And I think that's a big role um, QA managers have to still tackle in HL. Um, projects and HL environments. So it sounds like we're saying that we have to redefine the role for each project or program, but we want them to be a coach, a supporting role, right? So there's there's probably some similarities across all of those projects and program, but when you look at each one, it depends on the person's skill set. It depends on the skill of the rest of the team that they're working with. But in general, the role is about supporting the team and helping make sure that they can can do and get the the necessary attention that they need when they're working on this stuff. Also add to that this idea of I've got to bring transparency to what's going on in the team. Is there a I feel like I'm totally messing up what you said very eloquently, but I'm just trying to get a sense of how does this work? Like how do you get a manager to go from this old QA role to a new one? Like, what do you do to get them there? As you said, I think this is very dependent on the individual person. So I cannot say in your uh, organization, you have 15 QA managers, they will all become QA coaches in the next two sprints. So mm. that's not going to work. Uh, but what we usually do is we, we try to work very individually. Uh, with those people. I mean, we we don't usually see organizations that have hundreds of test managers. Um, it's not a role that uh, that is usually that big, um, especially, you know, when you have uh, more of a focus on, on development. Um, but what we try to do is we, we try to um, what are 
actually the individual strengths of those QA coaches or of those QA managers. And then we see, is this someone that can become a coach? Then we'll go, you know, uh, through a lot of skill building when it comes to coaching, because, you know, they have the, the functional skills, they know about testing, they might not know so much about coaching. So we'll do some mm -hmm. sessions, some knowledge building on coaching there. There might also be other QA managers where we say, okay, maybe this is not the right fit for you, but you would make a perfect product owner. So if you have people in, in testing that maybe are in the organization since a long time, they accumulate a vast amount of knowledge on mm -hmm. the products, on the functionality. Often this is at the same level or even bigger than uh, what a business uh, person would have a knowledge for those products because you know it's their main time to work with those products so this is what they spent all their time on they're not like doing their business using the tool but they know tools in and out so sometimes uh, we say okay this QA manager might be better fitted into a, a PO role or something like that Right. Uh, another thing is QA managers have been something a bit like scrum masters uh, in traditional projects. So they always had the job of, you know, running behind impediments, trying to fix stuff, um, getting people to talk to each other. And that role is still needed in HL uh, environments and even mm -hmm. more so. So um, if you need some carers, someone that makes sure, you know, environments are up and running, that makes sure that deployment happens, um, that makes sure the skill transfer happens. Um, this is something that QA managers have been doing before. Let's do that again. Uh, so there's plenty of work for them to do. It's just going to look a little different than what they're used to. I get the sense uh, this feels almost, I want to say it's generic or the same across a lot of management roles in the technical space where you were recently, you know, previously you're a, a manager of a team and your job is largely around organizing and planning and kind of working on those impediments and then a lot of that sometimes when we move to an agile world or an environment a lot of that shifts to the team and the team starts to do that stuff so the manager feels like i what am i going to do like i don't know what to do with myself all the stuff i was doing is now gone um, but that shift to a coach role and a supporting role sounds common across the different roles, whether it's developer, tester, um, even in the product space, right? Like we've got managers of product owners. Um, it feels like that the role is just shifting more and more to be a coach. Like as a manager, your job's to be yeah. a coach to support the team and to fill the gaps where the team doesn't have the capacity to do that or the skills to do that. Has that been your experience? Yes, uh, I see similar across uh, the other functions outside of QA. Um, they have the same problems as, as we QA managers have. And, you know, it's also this, this kind of uncertainty hits everywhere because uh, I'm not, I don't really know what's going to happen there. Mm -hmm. I don't have a plan. Um, I also don't have the security of uh, being able to say, look, I planned this out perfectly. 
it's not my fault, this didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So this is gone now in HL environments. And this is the same for test management. You know, we we would use the we would write those test plans, 20, 50 pages of test plans, saying exactly how this would work and which environment would be used in which months and how we would switch over to the other environment. And to be honest, this has nothing to do with reality. You know, you write this document the moment you you put it on Confluence, it's it's already deprecated and um, mm -hmm. you have to start rewriting stuff. So I say let's take this organizational talent, but but try to to be a bit more flexible with it and and try to see what's really hurting at that moment, fix that, and and at the same time we still need someone that has a bit of an outlook, a bit of a strategic outlook. So we've seen organizations where they had QA in every team, but they had no kind of QA management or no senior QA folk. So they would do right quite well for the moment, but they would not be prepared to what's going to hit their company in three months. They would not be prepared to what's going to hit them in one year. So if they, they have, you know, a new initiative on, on continuous integration or continuous deployment or DevOps, that would be something that hits every QA resource in a team individually without being prepared for that, without knowing what that means for QA. So so I'm still happy if I have some senior QA folks around, you know, that, that plan ahead um, mm -hmm. that say, okay, we have those big initiatives going on. What does this mean for QA in all my teams, in all my tribes? And how will we deal with that? So there's still a need for that kind of broader perspective, yeah. right? Bigger picture view. Yes. Uh, and also if, yeah, sorry to interrupt you here, Carl. Yeah, go ahead. I mentioned earlier how important automation is. Um, and at the same point, you know, inventing automation for every team individually, this is reinventing the wheel on so many levels. Um, so especially in, if you undertake something like automation initiatives, trying to get this up and running on a certain level throughout your organization, it's nothing you can do from the ground up. Uh, they're, they're just the capacity is not there. I don't know any tester in any HL team that has the time to think up uh, an automation framework that works for more than for his and maybe one adjacent team. So we need someone, you know, that steers a bit the work that can benefit all of them. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I love, thanks for connecting that back to the automation piece. Because um, I imagine we have teams that are trying to do that and they're they're just trying to do it for their own, you know, space, their own team. I believe we have at least uh, one or two people that are trying to connect those dots across the teams. I have a couple people in mind I'm thinking of that I know are that kind of person. They know yeah. that that's important and that they care about that. And that's that's mm -hmm. kind of their their torch they're carrying. But not everyone appreciates that. Not everyone looks at that and says, yeah, that's important. Um, they don't understand it fully. All right, so this this has been wonderful. I'm through all of my questions. Is there anything that um, I should have asked that I didn't ask or anything you want to share with the audience? Oh, I would be happy to turn this into a QA podcast, uh, <laughs> but let's keep it HL. You didn't ask me on why I think the QA managers should take those efforts um, to, you know, to get HL. And I think, you know, when you try it out, you will know why, because I think it's super satisfying. You get to work with highly motivated teams. They all have a common goal. There is a lot of commitment within the teams, across the teams, and people are really working together for that. That is something you did not always inspect, um, you know, you did not always see in traditional projects. 
And I think it creates so much uh, motivation that reaches also QA management. And, and when I see this happening, I am happy as a QA manager myself. Yeah, that sounds satisfying and fulfilling. It makes you feel like, you know, this, this is good. I want to do this. I want to come in and I want to do this work. That's awesome. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me, Kyle. It was really great to be here. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and share it with others. To learn more about Amway's Agile journey, follow the hashtag Amway Agile on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And if you're an employee, do that and search Amway Agile forward slash in your browser.